When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, Senior Editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com with you for another episode of Let's Ride Your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning podcast as a part of the Behind the Steel Curtain Network of Podcasts. It is Monday. Welcome back. I'm back in my homestead, back in the Mid-Atlantic from vacation. It was good vacation, good break. Uh, got away from everything for a little bit. Still did this podcast, as I'm sure you heard last Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but had Thursday night off with the Steelers preview. Thank you to Dave and Brian for holding down the fort. But in the meantime, I'm now fully committed back and ready to go for the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. I can't believe this week we are preparing for an actual game. No, it is not regular season. No, it does not count. But no, it is also not meaningless when the Steelers host the Seattle Seahawks in (gasps) Acrisure Stadium. That's right, Acrisure Stadium. This Saturday night, Seattle Seahawks, Pittsburgh Steelers, 7 p.m. Pittsburgh time kickoff. I'm excited. We will have a post-game podcast for you after the game. You'll get my... Winners and Losers podcast on Monday. Yes, even for a preseason game, there can be winners and there can be losers, and we are going to diagnose all of that. As I get into that, I think it's just right that I remind you that BehindTheSteelCurtain.com should be your one-stop shop for all things Steelers. And wherever you get your podcast, search Steelers, subscribe, or you could just do Behind the Steel Curtain as well. Subscribe or follow whatever that platform requires so that you don't get just my Let's Ride but all the morning, noon, and p.m. lineup. You don't want to miss any of it. I do have a Monday morning conversation for you today. I'm excited for this. Since one, I've, I've had this gentleman on. He's part of the BTSC staff multiple times before, and that is our local coach. That's right. Kevin Smith will be joining me in the second half of this show. He was at St. Vincent College in Latrobe last week, and I'm really excited to ask him some questions about what, you know, when he sees things, he sees it differently, even than me. If I go to camp when they're stretching, I'm not paying attention. When he goes to camp and they're stretching, he's looking for certain things. When he's watching position drills, he's watching things like outside leverage, hand placement on the offense and defensive line. He sees things that you and I, the average fan, would just gloss over. I'm really excited to see what he thought about this upcoming team, what he thought about the practice that he saw, and, and really just take some something away from this. And hopefully you, the listener, get something out of it as well. Let's get to some news. There's a lot of news that's happened with the Steelers since we last spoke on Friday. It's a real bummer. And I I know there's Cam Hayward in particular, went on his own Twitter account and said this. Uh, Mike Tomlin said it uh, after the closed practice on Saturday. There are fans, believe it or not, that plan out their vacations and their summers around the Friday night light practice at Latrobe Memorial High School and then the Saturday practice at St. Vincent. And unfortunately, and it's no one's fault, it's Mother Nature. Both of those practices were canceled. They canceled the Friday night practice. Saturday's practice got moved to Pittsburgh, which then it was closed. And so all those fans 
that had been waiting and waiting and planning and preparing for this, they didn't get to see the practices. Now, hopefully, you know, Monday they'll be back at St. Vincent College, which is great. Uh, but Monday, I mean, ho- hopefully those fans can get back out there and get to see the Steelers as they prepare for the Seattle Seahawks. But still, it is a bummer. It is a bummer. And that also meant that Friday night, you know, typically that is the most physical practice of camp. That is normally when they do those really hard-hitting drills, not just backs on backers. We're talking at full, live, active goal line drills. Uh, just really, th- those are the drills that you as a fan would love to go and watch. They didn't get to see that. And then Saturday, the close practice meant that us, the fans, us secondhand news sources at Behind the Steel Curtain, we all were only getting bits and pieces of news. It wasn't nearly as much reporting done as, say, if it was at St. Vincent College, where the reporters can really report on anything because it's a live and open practice. But to give you some updates as to what's been going on in training camp since Friday from Saturday is that to look at the quarterback position, Mitch Trubisky is starting to look a little bit better, probably getting a little bit more comfortable with everything. And People need to remember, too, he is also without a lot of weapons. You know, Pat Fryermuth has been sidelined, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson just came back after getting his new contract extension on Friday. I'm sorry, on Thursday last week. But still, it's it's a situation where Mitch Trubisky's arrow, as Mike Tom would say, is pointing up. Kenny Pickett's arrow is also point, get pointing up. Rave reviews from him the last few practices has thrown some really good passes, is definitely settling in. He doesn't look as rattled. He doesn't look as, as frazzled. Uh, he's not checking the ball down all the time. He knows where to go with the football. He's checking out of things. So for Trubisky and Pickett, I would say those are two check, checks there that they're doing their, their job. They're getting the job done. And I think they're doing it in a way that has a lot of people thinking, okay, this is a good thing. What's weird is that after week one, Mason Rudolph was who everyone was talking about. Everyone was saying he was the best-looking quarterback, not from a look standpoint, from a performance standpoint. He was the best quarterback in camp after week one. And now after week two, you're not hearing much about Mason Rudolph at all. And it's not that he's playing poorly, but you're just not getting those reports. Maybe he's just not. I, I did see one report that said that he's not doing anything either tremendous or awful. He's right in the middle. He's kind of your plain Jane. If you think about like, you know, someone that's attractive to you, there's the really attractive person, there's the ugly person, and then there's that plain Jane in the middle. That might be Mason Rudolph after week two. He's not doing anything crazy. He's not doing anything awful. He's just right there in the middle. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'll definitely keep you uh, you know, abreast of the situation, so to speak, as the Steelers prepare for their first preseason game. Other than that, some injury updates. Cam Sutton left practice on Thursday with what they thought was a knee or lower body injury. Mike Tomlin said after practice Saturday it was not serious, so that is good news. Also, players that are working their way back and could be close to returning. We saw Mika Fitzpatrick come off the NFI list last week. You could see uh, Tyson Alualu come off the pup list at some point. I would guess with Tyson Alualu, they're not in any rush to get him back. Maybe after the first preseason game, he gets taken off pup. Um, Larry Ogunjobi, or as Larry as we call him on this podcast, he should be starting to work his way into team drills. Uh, Najee Harris, same. Pat Fryermuth is getting close. Chase Claypool is getting close. Levi Wallace is still working his way back from his illness. So they are starting to get some key players back, and that's a good thing. The Steelers don't need to be 100% healthy right now heading into preseason week one, but you do want to get a good feel for what you have. A lot of the players I just mentioned, they don't need that game. 
Tyson Alualu doesn't need that game. Najee Harris, no. Pat Fryermuth, no. Chase Claypool, even, no. Let these other guys go out there and play week one. Like, that's okay. I, I'm not having no rush to see these guys back on the field in any, any type of rush. All right. I talked about Najee Harris. Talked about some running backs and the injuries. We talked about Jeremy McNichols. The Jeremy McNichols era being, I think, a week maybe before he was put on injured reserve. And I thought about this, and I was going to talk about this on Friday, but then Deontay Johnson obviously signed his contract, so that was the talking point. Um, So I saved it till Monday, and I definitely will ask Coach Kevin Smith about this in the second half. When I think about the Steelers' running back situation, everyone talked about this, myself included, how the Steelers should, they should find a way or try to find a way to get a solid number two running back in the mix, if nothing worse than the what if happens with Najee Harris. What if he gets hurt? What if he's lost for more than four games or even a couple games? What if? Get a running back that you can trust, that you can lean on, that has the experience. And there were a lot of running backs that were in the facility. They got worked out by the Steelers. They ended up signing McNichols, and a lot of fans were really excited about that addition. And now he's out of the picture, and they bring in Master Teague the third. And I keep on thinking, I'm looking at the entire depth chart here. I keep on thinking about one thing, and that is that this Steelers running back depth chart is going down the same path as 2021. And that's the title of this podcast. The Steelers running back situation is headed for a repeat of 2021. I don't need to remind my ride or die crew that Najee Harris had 381 touches last season, the most by far of anyone in the National Football League. 381 touches. He was unbelievably durable when you think about what he had to endure in Alabama in the college football season, which is so much shorter. And now all of a sudden he's in a 17 game regular season and had a playoff game on top of that. Ridiculously durable. Najee Harris was for touching the ball that much. And so everyone, everyone beat reporters, the Steelers website themselves talked about Mike Tomlin even said it. They're trying to ease the workload off of Harris. I look at the depth chart and I say, how are you planning on doing this? Let's take a look at last season. Last season, the 2021 depth chart was as follows. Najee Harris, Benny Snell Jr., Anthony McFarland, and Kalen Balage. Those were your four running backs. Now, you could throw in Trey Edmonds on occasion, and you could talk about Derek Watt. They're not getting handoffs. They're not easing the burden off of Harris. I'm not even going to mention them. And so everyone's thinking, okay, this is the year. This is the year that the Steelers kind of right their wrongs from 2021. They figure things out. They get on the they get on the right path. So what does it look like now? Najee Harris, Benny Snell Jr., Anthony McFarland, and a combination of Jalen Warren, Mateo Durant, or like I said, Master Teague the third. That's th- look at this, folks. I mean, look at this. This is a setup for the same exact production from Najee Harris that they had in 2021. Unless something changes, and that something would have to be drastic, unless something changes like Benny Snell really shows up and shows out and the Steelers say, we don't need to go out and get a guy because we have a guy, and Benny Snell is a guy. But you know what? I, I'm going to say something that 
Kevin Smith said a couple weeks ago on the Here We Go, the Steelers show, the podcast he does with Brian Davis on Fridays at noon. Make sure you check that out. I love that podcast. It's very insightful. He said that Benny Snell is a type of running back that is not going to function well on two carries here, four carries here, one carry here, totaling maybe seven or eight touches a game. He said that's not his MO. His MO is I'm the guy that needs to get going. I need to get my legs moving. I need to get a feel for the offensive line. I need a gel. I need carries. Give me the touches. That's what he needs. Well, you're not getting that with Najee Harris. Najee Harris, yeah, we we as fans don't want to see him touch the ball 381 times, but we want to see him out there more than Benny Snell. What about Anthony McFarlane? Ant-Mac, as we call him. Ant-Mac has not been healthy. and He's had some great plays in training camp. He was turning heads uh, the last workout at St. Vincent College, catching the ball out of the backfield, getting on the edge. He is fast enough to outrun everyone. Is he the guy? Is he that guy that changed a pace back that we all thought he would be when he was drafted in 2020? Is he the guy that could come in and actually spell Harris in certain situations so that Harris doesn't have to do everything? It's tough for me to sit here right now and say that. Last season, he didn't do poorly in the preseason, but he didn't even make it to the regular season before he hurt his knee. Injuries have been an issue with Anthony McFarlane. And then you go to this trio of running backs. Now, Master Teague, outside of talking with uh, Jerome Betts in the All Bets Are Off segment last Friday, I don't know a thing about this guy. He grew up a Steeler fan. That's awesome. Other than that, I I know he's a a downhill, hard-nosed runner. He's not a guy that's going to catch the ball out of the backfield. I don't know how he fits. The, the, the player, the running back that's been getting all the publicity is Jalen Warren. And he's like a little bowling ball. Kind of reminds you of a Maurice Jones-Drew back in the day for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jalen Warren's the one that's been getting all this publicity, all this talk. Everyone's saying he's going to make the team. But even if he makes the team, are they going to thrust an undrafted rookie free agent out there? What is going to happen here? This is trending in the same direction. And honestly, it's it's going to trend in the same way that Mike Tomlin has worn out running backs in the past. I mean, think back when Le'Veon Bell, I think it was in 2014, where they were signing running backs off the street to start in a playoff game. Ben Tate, remember that? Joshua Harris was another name. They weren't prepared. And so instead of learning from this, all I see is the Steelers going down the same exact path. They are headed for a repeat of 2021. Now, I'll say it again. I could be wrong. It would not be the first time, and I would be glad to be wrong. If Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland, and the three players there, we're talking Harris, Snell, and McFarland, create a three-headed monster that are capable of spelling one another and being impactful in their own way, and not having everything fall on Najee Harris's shoulders, if that happens, I would gladly eat crow. I would gladly come on this podcast and say, I was wrong. But when I look at it on paper, I see nothing but the same same methodology, the same approach as 2021. The Steelers got lucky last season that Najee Harris was as durable as he was. They might not get as lucky this year. And if they're not that lucky, there's a chance, a strong chance, that they're not going to be prepared. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this preseason we will see something that no one saw coming, and that is a Steelers running game that it doesn't matter who the back is. The offensive line is moving people, and they're able to make it work. We'll see. We will see. But Jeremy McNichols, 
The signing in and of itself, when they release Trey Edmonds and bring in McNichols, tells me the Steelers were not sold on the depth that they had. And then he gets hurt. And so now it seems like instead of getting a veteran, they bring in Teague. Teague was an undrafted rookie with Chicago for three days. It seems like they're just kind of throwing up the white flag saying, all right, we got to do it again. Naj, I hope you're ready. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. We'll see. We'll see if it pans out. But they're putting a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of both, you know, figurative and literal money on Najee Harris's health. And that's that's scary. It's scary with the running back position in the National Football League. All right, I'm gonna ask Coach Kevin Smith about this in the second half for a Monday morning conversation. Make sure you stay tuned for that. We'll be right back after this break. <laughs> second half of Let's Ride, and that means it's time for the Monday morning conversation. Not sure how many more we're going to have of these, considering the games start this upcoming weekend, but I'm excited to have this gentleman on. He's been on my show multiple times. Kevin, Coach Smith, what's up? How's it going? Nothing. Just uh, excited to be uh, be back and rolling. Uh, going to get my own team going tomorrow, and Steelers are going uh, against another opponent this week, so it's going to be a great football week. It is going to be a great football week, and you were just in Pittsburgh, and this is something that uh, I know that you spoke about on the Here We Go Steelers show. You wrote an article for the website, uh, but I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. You were in in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. You were at St. Vincent College. You was it for Thursday practice? Is that the practice, or was it Wednesday? Thursday, yep. Okay. First and foremost, what was your vibe on campus? What did you think of the facilities? What did you – like? walk us through that, because you had never been there, right? Never been there, no. Okay, so tell, no. tell us about it. What was that like? That's just uh, about as ideal a situation you could have for a training camp as I can think of. Um, just the, you know, the, the campus itself uh, has that old school college feel to it. It reminds me a little bit, I went to Gettysburg College, mm-hmm. which was built in, you know, 1832. And so it had those great grand brick buildings and uh, set against the backdrop of the, like, the rolling hills. And you, know, you come through, of course, they, they kind of, funnel you through the merchandise tent, which is, which cost me 85 bucks because (laughs) my son hit me up for a Jersey. I told him he could get whatever he want. And I was convinced he was going Najee Harris, but he shocked me and went, can he pick it? So so yeah, he he walked out with a new KP eight, but, but when you come out of there, you know, you, you, uh, it's just a few more steps and then, and then you're at the top of the Hill and you look down onto these beautiful practice fields and, um, you know, it's something that feel like it maybe a screenwriter would script if they were doing a, a movie about training camp. So, so the, the environment was fantastic. The, the fans lining the opposite Hill where the players come out of uh, their meeting rooms and they come down the Hill and they got a little MC announcing everybody as they come down and uh, you get opportunity to be up close to them. That, that was really cool. You know, Deontay Johnson, by the way, I, that was Thursday. So he had just signed his contract yeah. extension in the morning um and then he came down the hill one of the first guys out he was maybe the third or fourth guy out and he got a huge ovation which was cool to see and he got right to work man he must call it he must call it 100 balls before practice even started which was really really interesting to see the guy is a worker and i want to ask you about 
So you in the article that you wrote for the website, which I think were 15 observations from camp, you talked about even how you would watch the stretching line. Now, this is something that the average fan, when they're waiting for practice to start, they're probably on their phone. They might be snapping some photos, trying to grab an autograph or something from a straggler coming off the hill. You're focused on the stretching lines. You're mm-hmm. focused on the coaching staff. I mean, you're watching every bit of minutia that there is to take in. What was the vibe of the team, the coaching staff? Like, walk us through everything and what you're picking up on that some fans might not. Yeah, I think I, w- I wanted to know what the coaches were doing while the team was stretching because it's, it's an opportunity um, for you as a coach to get in just a little bit of extra time with your guys and um, and you get and it's and it's different than any everything else is just so competitive and and you're you're uh, you're fighting the clock to get as many reps as you can in the regular periods. But the stretching situation is a little more casual and you can talk to guys and you can talk to them about serious stuff. You can talk to them about technique work and, and what you want them to focus on in practice. And you can, you can mess around with them. You know I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite things to do with our guys is to walk around and just find out like who they like, what music they like, what, what yeah. bands do they listen to, et cetera. And I got that vibe from Mike Tomlin. I really was focused on Mike Tomlin and he was, he was joking around with some of the guys, um, you know, with Alex Highsmith and and um, Chris Wormley, and they looked like they were talking some trash with the O line. There was kind of a really good back and forth going on with those guys, and he was joking around. But then he'd see a guy and he'd bounce over there, and a couple words for this guy, and he'd bounce over somebody else, and a couple words there. And I just really got the impression that Mike Tomlin was in his element. That that was that was Mike Tomlin soaking it all in, getting that great vibe about like, all right, here we go, we're about to ramp up you know, uh, a training camp practice and, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit as many of these guys as I possibly can just to, just to either, you know, touch base for the veterans about what's going on. Let a rookie know, you know, that I, that I know who he is, that I, that I understand, you know, like, Hey man, I know your name, I know your number, I know who you are, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, he was active to put it, to put it mildly and, and energized for sure. And that's always good to know. I know when I was a coach, the stretching line that I, I would walk around and, you take the temperature of your players. You probably do this the same, especially on a game day. Some guys get so uptight and you know, they're tense, they're nervous. And I would try to, I would jack with them. I would mess around with them being like, really, you you chose to do that today or you're listening to that. I wanted to joke around with them to get them loose. It's, it's really cool to see that from even an NFL coach that he's willing to kind of take that time. I'm sure there are coaches in the NFL that probably don't even walk up and down the stretching lines. They're just waiting for them to finish. But once the work got started, I, I want to ask you about what stood out the most in terms of the individual drills that they did. Cause they do break into individuals and then they go into some team stuff. They did seven shots. I'll get to that. But when they did individual drills, was there a position group that stood out the most? Was there a coach that stood out the most? What, what exactly were you feeling when they were doing those individual position group drills? Right. So the wide receivers were in front of me when we, when they started and I stayed there for a little bit. And Frisman Jackson was excellent. He was excellent. He he instructed and coached the entire time. He didn't miss an opportunity. He had a comment for every player, which I think is really valuable. You want whether you're whether you're a 14, 15 year old kid or or a 10 year veteran in the NFL, you want feedback. And um, he was given it. And his his um, comments were were useful comments too. They were specific. They weren't things like catch the ball. You know, like I mean that, that's the stuff that drives me nuts. Uh, a receiver drops the ball and the coach yells catch the ball. Well, okay. I mean, I, you know, that's like the mom in the crowd yelling, get them, you know, like it's not, that's not helpful. So, but he was really specific in his instruction. He would say things like pinkies together or eyes up or, 
Uh, one example, Cody White came out of a speed cut a little bit fast, and he almost ran himself out of bounds. And, and Jackson was yelling, feel the boundary, feel the boundary, which what he means by that is like you need to know your spatial relationship before you get into your cut so that, you know, that you don't have the problem that he ran into. So he was a ton of energy. I loved his demeanor during the stock blocking drill. Um, he just kept demanding physicality. And, and I really get the feeling the Steelers are going to be a perimeter-based offense this season. I mean, they want to get the ball outside. I think that they have athletes to do that. Uh, you're going to see the outside zone play, perimeter screens to the receivers, et cetera. But that stuff doesn't work if the receivers don't block. And so it really seemed like he, he was focused uh, hard on that. After the receivers, I moved over to the O-line. Pat Meyer was great. Uh, very, very specific in his detail as well. One, one of the things that I really got the feel for was that the new guys they brought in, Jackson and Meyer, uh, they're real teachers. You know, they're really, they're really teaching the game in, turn, in their instruction. I mean, again, they're not – I read a lot of comments last year from Adrian Clem about, oh, we're going to be physical. We're not going to knock guys off the ball. And that's all well and good. But unless you're doing it with good technique, it's not going to matter. And, and uh, one thing that Meyer was emphasizing was double teams with the guards and centers or guards and tackles and getting those guys hip to hip so they can push the double team to the linebacker uh, and not have that have that D lineman split them. And he had some re- very specific instruction about how to do that. So that was great to see. Again, it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to knock these guys off the ball. It was, you know, hey, here's how we're going to do it. That's really interesting. The offensive line in general, I want to ask you about that as a group. Uh, at, throughout the practice, did anyone stand out? Did the group stand out? To be honest, as someone that has to, try them try my best without being there to keep a finger on what's happening you haven't heard a lot of news about the offensive line a lot about the quarterbacks we'll get there a lot about the defense uh but not a lot about the o-line what did you see in team drills regarding the offensive line did anyone stand out so in the one-on-ones they so they go one-on-ones i moved over it was hard to get to the defense because they were on kind of the second field and they're furthest away from where the fans are but they did a one-on-one period where they brought everybody together. And so I, was, I could be up close for that. And the, the D line just absolutely dominated that drill. And I, and I was like, Oh God, this is a bad <laughs> sign. Right. You know. Uh, but in fairness to the O line, that's a drill where, you know, the offensive linemen hate that drill because they know that the D line is just teeing off and not worrying about any responsibilities other than just get off the ball. But when you got, when we got to the 11 on 11, the O line afforded itself very well. They ran the ball between the tackles uh, inside zone with Benny Snell and, and Anthony McFarlane running the football uh, and making, you know, five, six yards of chunk, sometimes making five yards before they even got contacted. Now, like before people get too excited, this was a defensive line that was not playing Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Tyson Alawala, Larry Ogunjobi. It was all backups basically, but those yeah. backups had played a ton of football for the Steelers last year. It's Wormley and Montrevious Adams and, and Loudermilk, and those guys were in there. And the offensive line was knocking them off the ball. And the thing that I loved, the thing I really liked the most, was the drills I watched, the things I watched them do in the drill work translated to the live work. And that's huge, you know? I mean, like, that's a to be able to take the things you work on in the individual periods and now work them in the team periods means that the teaching is translating. And that was that was really big. I mean, they were they were getting movement on the double, uh, just like they had practiced in, in the in the individual periods, and then chipping off late on the linebackers. And the linebackers had a tough time finding gaps in which to press because they were getting those defensive linemen pushed into their lap right away. So as a group, you know, I, I, I 
your question was about an individual and I, I wasn't real sure if there were any individuals who jumped out at me, but as a unit, that first group looked very good. Good. That's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that from you, especially because like I said, there haven't been a lot of reports on the offensive line. I'm sure we'll see on Saturday when the Seattle Seahawks come into town. Um, I want to ask you about the quarterbacks because I have to ask about the quarterbacks. Mason Rudolph was seemingly the winner of week one. Everyone said how great he looked. He should look great. He's the most comfortable in the system. He's been around the coaching staff the most. Mitch Trubisky was kind of getting dogged at the end of week one. He hadn't been playing well. Seven shots, was not able to get in the, the end zone. I think he had gone on like a four-day stretch without being able to score on any attempt. That's not good. I, I know there are drops in there and stuff like that. And then Kenny Pickett is still trying to meander his way through getting acclimated to the National Football League, the game speed, and things of that nature. But I want to ask you, what did you think about the quarterbacks when you saw them? Good, bad, and different. Was there any type of hierarchy in your mind in terms of how they looked? And let's just start there, and we'll we'll go off of that. Yeah, I thought Pickett was the best of the three. Um, I, and and I, later on, I went and I read what some other people had written because, you know, you kind of want to see, am, am I seeing things different than other people were? And there were some similar comments about how that was his best day uh, of camp so far. And he made that, what I thought was the throw of the day in a, in the seven shots period where uh, he only got in there for one rep and his one rep was excellent where he got pressure in his face and he just stood there like a veteran would do and um, was able to drop a, a beautiful throw in over the shoulder to Cody White in the back of the end zone for a score. Um, and, and he made he – was, he was definitely more decisive. You know, I, I didn't see any of those reports that you had read about him. Oh, he's holding the ball too long. He doesn't know what his progressions are. He made one uh, – what I thought was a great throw where he slid away from pressure uh, into a into uh, a seam where he could see down the field and then, and then zipped an in, an in cut to Cody White. Um, you know, and, and it, he looked like a guy that that ha, that is starting to get it. The light bulb was going on with Trubisky and Rudolph. I wouldn't say that either one had a bad day, but neither one did anything sensational either. Nobody, nobody threw an interception uh, in any period that I saw all day long, which is pretty rare, I think. So, you know, they didn't make mistakes, but at the same time, you know, Trubisky missed a couple of guys. Uh, Rudolph, I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know what the specific issue was, but there was a, there was a play where Rudolph was like slapping himself in the helmet. You could tell that he was, he felt like he had missed something. Um, it just felt like, you know, like those guys, you know, they had, they were fine and, and, and not, you know, neither good nor bad. I guess, I guess we, we would call them sort of game managers if it had been a game. So Pickett was the clear winner and the other two guys were sort of, uh, you know, on the same level. So you saw a lot of promise from Kenny Pickett, whether he's the starter this year at any time or not, like you saw enough, you did or did you see enough that you're looking at this thinking, I think they might've gotten their guy. I mean, it's only one practice and it's still really early, but you saw glimpses. Is that fair to say? I saw a guy who didn't look nervous. didn't look phased by what was happening. Didn't look overwhelmed at all. And for a rookie who was in, I think that might've been his sixth practice. That's, that's pretty impressive. You know, I mean, I'm not ready to anoint him as anything, but at the right. same time, I, I thought I was going to see a guy a little less sure of himself. And I saw a guy who looked pretty confident. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So let me ask you about, it's kind of separate, but you were at, you can draw from training camp, especially when you talked about the running game in the first half of the show, I talked about running backs and, you know, the Steelers bring in Jeremy McNichols that era lasts, I think all of like three days. And then he's on injured reserve or the shoulder injury. And I'm looking at this on paper, and the only thing I can get through my head is that they're setting this thing up to be a, a repeat of 2021. 
I mean, you think of last year, you had Najee Harris, Benny Snell, McFarlane, and Kalen Balaj. This year, what do you have? Najee Harris, Snell, McFarlane, and then a combination of Jalen Warren, maybe Mateo Durant, I doubt it. And then who master Teague, the third that they just brought in and in response to the injured reserve designation for uh, McNichols, Najee Harris carried the ball or touched the ball 381 times last year, a ridiculous amount. Are you seeing this the way that I am in regards to the fact that I hope Najee's in good shape because he's probably going to get the ball that much, unless maybe you can chime in and say, I think Snell or, McFarland are, are the guys that could actually take some of that, the take some of those touches away. What are your thoughts? McFarland was the player of the day in, in my estimation. He he looked great, the best I'd ever seen him. He he was tremendous catching the ball to the backfield and he ran the ball in between the tackles better than I've ever seen him. Now he had room to run, so that helped. But um he, so he showed me a lot. But I don't I don't think that they have a number two who's going to come in and just relieve Najee Harris in a traditional sense. Like Najee's not going to play this series because Benny Snell is going to, going to take that, those reps, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Benny Snell's not great in that role. He's much better as a lead back and not so much a relief back, but what I think we're going to see, and we, and I saw a lot of this at the practice is some unconventional personnel packages where Najee Harris is not on the field. And that doesn't necessarily mean a, a traditional tailback is out there. I saw a lot of sets where either Connor Haywood or Derek Watt were the only running back on, on the field. Now, the, So they were a running back, or there was a running back, but it was some combination of Hayward and Watt with Zach Gentry and three receivers uh, or or two more tight ends and two more receivers. And, you know, as you can imagine, they're shifting and motioning in every conceivable fashion on every play. And so I can see there being packages where we don't have an actual running back on the field, where where there's where if you want to call Derek Watt the running back, he's there, but he's there with another tight end and three more wide receivers. Uh, and the Steelers have the personnel to do that. They can the, the the combinations that they can throw out there right now are really uh, numerous. You know, you think about like your traditional your first three receivers who are probably going to be Pickens and Claypool and Deontay Johnson, but then they can mix and match depending on what they want. I mean, Calvin Austin the third is a guy who's gotten a lot of attention, and he was certainly showcasing his speed at practice. Uh, then you've got you know just some other veterans. I mean, the one guy who looked fantastic was Anthony Miller. Um, you got the two big tight ends, Gentry and Fryermuth. You got a versatile guy in Connor Hayward. So I think I think if the Steelers lessen Najee Harris's touches, it won't necessarily be because another running back absorbs them. It'll be because they're spreading things around more with their personnel packages. It's a great point. That's a great point. Very valid. I appreciate that. You thinking outside the box. I like that. Last question for you before I let you go. What was the vibe from the fans there? I mean, you're around the fans. I'm assuming that you have a lot of fans near you especially during team drills, whether it's seven shots or, you know, 11 on 11 work. Sometimes you can kind of get a vibe and a feel for the fans, their optimism, maybe their pessimism. What was the vibe around the people near you during that, during that practice? Right. Uh, Overwhelmingly positive, but not um, positive for sure. But this is a team where I don't think people know what to expect. Yeah. And there's there's just a lot of new guys, a lot of new faces, even in the coaching staff. It, ben Roethlisberger's gone, so so it was it was a crowd that it was much more in sort of uh, observation mode than they were in celebration mode. It wasn't I didn't it wasn't a lot of people high fiving one another and you know let's go Steelers chance or here we go chance or whatever. 
uh, there was a lot of applause. There were a lot of people talking, you know, excited about things that were going on. But it was more curiosity, like, oh, who are these Steelers? Who, what is what is this version of the Pittsburgh Steelers going to look like? Then it was that, like, you know, we're this is a championship team, and I can't wait to get out here at Latrobe and like pump them up. There was a story I want to say it was Brooke Pryor of ESPN shared. It was the first full practice the Steelers had. Trubisky's out there. It was his second incompletion, and someone's yelling, "Put Kenny Pickett in!" And I'm thinking, is this what it's going to be? And it probably will be. Let's be honest, the fan base. That they're going to want to. I'm assuming that Kenny Pickett's not going to start in week one when they go to Cincinnati, and that's fine. But I think it's safe to say that the fans are going to want to see what they have in the young guy, <laughs> and especially when they hear people like you say that he looked pretty darn good in the brief stint that you had there. But I mean, I guess maybe not everyone's a Kenny Pickett fan. You shared a story in your uh, article. In my oh, yeah, yeah, there's an older guy there, man. This guy, if you can just close your eyes and picture the older guy in the Joe Green jersey, you know, <laughs> uh, like he, well, he's, he looks exactly like what you think he looks like. And yeah, yeah, Pickett, you know, he did, he did something like, you know, he slid out of the pocket and threw a nice ball for completion and the crowd cheered. And this guy, I don't know why he was not happy with it. He just was like, what, you know, like he had a wide open receiver and, and he put it low and the kid, guy fell down. He couldn't put it up high. And now I'm supposed to treat him like he's Joe Montana. I mean, he was kind of going off, but, uh, you know, I stood behind that guy for a little bit longer after that. I just wanted to hear his, his pearls of wisdom. He didn't disappoint either. Little did you know, he's probably a commenter on behind the steel curtain. He could be. He could be. I, we, we got a lot of older guys on the on the, the site for sure. All right, KT, thank you for your time. Make sure you check him out on the Here We Go Steelers show every Friday at noon with Brian Davis. Also, all of his work on the website. Uh, what, what do you have coming up? Let, let the fans know what you got coming up this week. So I'm actually writing an article about our family trip out to Pittsburgh and how it really deepened my appreciation for the city and and – for the Steelers as well. I just, uh, I, I never really, I've been to Pittsburgh many times for games, but I've never spent time there. And and I got to do that with my family uh, this past week. And and it was, it was tremendous. We had a, we had a blast and I got to talk to a lot of Steelers fans and just got a, a different view of the city than I ever had. And I kind of tie that in with a, with, you know, story about my lifelong, you know, fandom and love of the Steelers and how it really deepened my appreciation for them. Fantastic. Make sure you check that out. Kevin, thank you very much. Until next time, take it easy. Thanks, Jeff. A big thank you to Coach for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate his time and insights from training camp and what it was like for him and his family's trip to Pittsburgh. Sounds like they had a blast. I want to remind you, as we wrap up the show, make sure you're checking out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Should be your one-stop shop for all things Steelers. We're on the podcast side, wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. Google Play, Stitcher. Anchor, Pandora, Spotify, if I didn't say that one, Um, Apple Podcasts, obviously, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you like to listen, all you have to do is search Steelers or Behind the Steel Curtain and follow us so that you don't just get my Monday, Wednesday, Friday Let's Ride podcast, but all of our podcasts. And we do a lot of podcasts. If you're a diehard Steeler fan, there's nowhere else you want to be. Be on the lookout Tuesday for the tweet for the mailbag segment that's coming up. So follow me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Tweet normally goes out around midday. It might be a little bit earlier. Be on the lookout for that. And you know how we finished out here, folks. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. We'll see you on Wednesday. Go to
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.